Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Stagwardy game. Who's first? I'll go first if you like. Okay. Do you fancy it? Okay. So leisure and business pursuits of the rich and famous. Oh. All right. Five examples. One fictitious, but which this is for you to divine. Okay. Phil Collins amassed over 200 items of memorabilia related to the Battle of the Alamo. That's one. Yeah. Jack White's vast array of taxidermy includes stuffed gazelles, antelopes, a giraffe, and an elephant's head. <laughs> okay. Tom Bailey of the Thompson Twins owns a racehorse in New Zealand called Doctor Doctor. Terminator X of Public Enemy has a black ostrich stud farm in North Carolina. And Grandmaster Flash has a collection of 5,000 mugs. <laughs> One of those things isn't true, but the rest, the rest, astonishingly, are true. So there we are. We got any clues? I, I do, I do. I know Phil Collins definitely does collect stuff about the. Yeah, album. he does. He Big does. Yeah, so yeah. what's the what's the second one? Was Jack White? So Jack White's, uh, you know, gazelles, antelopes, giraffes, and <laughs> huge collection of taxidermy. There's, there's Tom Bailey. With his, his, his see, I, can't, I, I kind of figured if Tom Bailey had a racehorse called Doctor Doctor, it would have been it would be a late racehorse. You know, it would be this would be quite a while ago. But anyway, go on, Karen. The fourth one was so Terminator X has a black ostrich stud farm in North Carolina. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? <laughs> and the last one was Grandmaster <laughs> Flash with his five thousand months. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I'm going to pick Grandmaster Flash. All right, no, no, that's true. That is true. Oh, no, the one, the, the ringer is Tom Bailey. Tom Bailey, who actually does live, I think, I think he does live. He in New does Zealand. live in New Zealand, and yeah. I think he's a very successful DJ. I think he's done. And Tom Bailey and Alana Curry, my God, they must have, would have made a lot of money. I mean, the Thompson Twins were huge and huge in America too. So I think he's probably quite well set up and just noodles about doing the old bit of DJ. But no, he doesn't have a racehorse called Doctor Doctor. So he never did have a racehorse. I never did. And never did. Go on. So, what do you got? That's very good. Okay. Uh, the the genre is skate punk. 
Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Skate punk. That's good. Think kind of baggy shorts uh, yep. and uh, grazed knees and uh, punk thrash. Okay. Okay. So these are five groups, five skate punk groups, but one of them was supplied by me. Okay. These are the five. Dead fucking last. <laughs> Good riddance. Yep. Asphalt gash. No use for a name. And rich kids on LSD. Those are those, great. Those, those five are... again. Those five again. Dead fucking last. Good riddance. Asphalt gash. Three months from them after the news. New use for a name and rich kids on LSD. Those are really good. No use for a name, I think, is is got to be real. It has to be. Um, because that's very clever and very arch. As I think is rich kids on LSD, because that's precisely what people think skate punks are in America. Um, dead fucking last is brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. It's between the Ashfield <laughs> Ashfield Gash. Yeah, that sounds. It could be made. Oh, these are so hard, aren't they? I mean, I I think it's probably Good Riddance because Good Riddance is so kind of weedy and feeble and and English, and and it doesn't sound remotely like it fits into the whole American skate punk genre. So I'm going for Good Riddance, but I'm bound to be wrong. You are wrong. You are wrong. I know. Uh, so where did Good Riddance come from? Do they come from Croydon or something? <laughs> from Virginia Water, more likely. Actually. Dead fucking Home. last. Okay, these are real. Dead fucking last. Good riddance. No use for a name. And rich kids on LSD. The one that's not real, made up by me 10 minutes ago. Is Ashfeld. Ashfeld Gash. Oh, that's very good. That's really okay. good. You it's win. Not, it's not bad, is it? No, that's really, really good. That's fantastic. Uh, People, I, I understand the the concept of the uh, the Stackwaddy game has been has been uh, taken up elsewhere. I've been, people have been getting in touch with me saying, "Where can I get a list of long list of names? I'd like to play this with my um, with my nearest and dearest at Christmas." Oh right, it's now it's now Yuletide uh, Entertainment, isn't it? Yeah, along and with I, Balderdash and Boggle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a go. This. Let's play the Stackwaddy game, Dad. And uh, you should be putting out a book. You should, Dave, along with your quiz book. You should be putting yeah. out the Stackwaddy special. Yeah, I that's great. It, it doesn't really work because you see, as I said to these somebody who was in touch with this, with me this week, hoping I had a long list of categories and band names and so forth, you kind of have to tailor it to the people you're playing with. And in your in our case, I'm playing with you. Absolutely. So I kind of I kind of know the things you'd know and the things you might be able to yeah. sneak through. You know what I mean? You, yeah, you absolutely. Kind of, you know the level of the people you're playing with and it wouldn't be wouldn't be any point giving the average family group five skate punk groups. Wouldn't work at all. Yes, yeah, yeah, try to get Gran involved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a game for all the family. Dead fucking last. <laughs> it's not a game it for all the oh, family, that's very it's funny. Somebody told me that some uh, podcast is now using it. I can't remember which one it was now. It's now appropriated this idea too. We shall find out who it is and reveal them. Actually, it's very flattering that they do. Good. It, it's very flattering. But obviously, they'll be hearing from our legal representatives. Yeah, my learned friends. And, um, so in the light of uh, this weekend's political news, and uh, it struck me that there are two dramas uh, about behind the scenes in politics that are 
available to stream on demand, you know, and very often I go, go back to them. And here's my question to you. Which is the truest to the actual nature of politics? Is it the West Wing or is it the thick of it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I end up watching both of them, you know, and um, and when, when they catch all this we all this uh, stuff at Downing Street uh, this weekend involving, I can't believe it involves ball blokes called Lee. Actually, somehow it all sounds like a, it would be a fight between painter, painters and decorators. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's Lee and Allegra and uh, and Dom and all these and Boris and all these people and I think what what's truest to the nature of politics, is it the thick of it, or is it the West? Wing? I don't know that much about the West Wing. I know a lot about the thick of it. I've seen all those episodes in the movie. I've got it hundreds of times. I mean, that the thick of it is very clever and it identifies the idea that it's all about it's all about your own personal career, isn't it? It's about trying to find something to represent will get you in the news and further your reputation and profile mm. without any remote interest in the community that you're meant to be representing. And uh, you can't help but feeling there's a lot of truth in that. The days of vocational politics is kind of, is, is that long over? When we were lads, Dave, people used to, you felt that people signed up to be politicians because they had a genuine philanthropic, <coughs> altruistic reason to be involved. Am I right? Uh, people tend to kind of slide in now, make their names, and slide out and do something else. And make I, 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 I mean, if we're honest about it, I think, I think that the majority of people who enter Parliament have, you know, perfectly honourable intentions. I don't think there's anything about that. But you, but you get they get involved in the in the in the same game as everybody else, which is all about you know who can get in the news tomorrow and yeah, yeah, precisely who 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 can whose spin is slightly better than anybody else. I think that probably that one of the one of the differences between the people who represented us when we were sort of teenagers or you know in our twenties or whatever is largely they'd been through a war. <laughs> yeah, they'd been in the services. They had some experience of of command of leading people. You know, and that applied to Labour and it applied to Conservative and Liberals. You know, um, whereas I look I look at some people nowadays and I think. You're very, very smart, but you know nothing about life at all. You know what I mean? You know, you know about uh, the thick of it world. You know, you're you're really good at the thick of it world, but the, the entirely the, about spin. The, yeah, the absolutely. Is, is yeah, yeah. So we shall um, we should continue to watch with interest, and the thick of it is still absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely, but you can watch that. Again and again, you again. can. So, you really so can. Good. And the other thing that amazes me about it is the, the 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 degree to which they must be improvising. And if they are improvising, how clever that is! You know, Rebecca Front, Chris Addison, you know, they're they're astonishing. Just these just riffs that they go off in, and uh, uh, was, it's absolutely exemplary. I was watching last Sunday <laughs> after we recorded the podcast. I thought, oh, God, I wonder what's happening to the remembrance service because obviously there won't be a load of people there. You know, yeah, so there on the telly, and then you know, so it was. It, the ceremony was there, but obviously without without a crowd. And I couldn't help thinking every time I see kind of new politicians suddenly, you know, they enter the little, you know, the, the wreath-laying line. I can't th help thinking of that wonderful scene in the thick of it where Rebecca Front is talked through 
how to how to lay a wreath, isn't she? By yes, uh, right. By a special advisor <laughs> walking up and down this conference room holding a ball card, think or something. Yeah. Telephone directory or whatever. And it's absolutely beautifully done. That I'd say it's terribly good. It's so, genius. Well, what else were we, we were talking about? Bob, Bo Diddley. Oh, Bo, Bo Diddley. I, to, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Bob we, we, Diddley. We occasionally, Bob Diddley. We re, we we uh, we reboot our um, our old uh, podcasts uh, and, uh, and re-promote them. And I've been going through some the other day, and I found one from two thousand eight where we talked about Bo Diddley. And what an amazing story he is, isn't it? Incredible. And our conjecture then was: Did Bo Diddley? Invent rock and roll. There's also a whole thing about whether he invented gangster rap, but did he invent rock and roll? And I, 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 well, I'm keen to hear your opinion about this because you know he was there in the 1940s playing in street bands, wasn't he? You know, the Bank of the Hipsters was it? They became the Langley Avenue Jive Cats, and he had Jerome Green playing maracas, and he had a you know wash tub, um, wash tub bass, and another guitar. And uh, they got some gigs in the early 1950s in, in Maxwell Street, I think in in, in uh, in Chicago, playing their old Louis Jordan songs. So there's obviously a bridge between rhythm and blues and blues, old Muddy Waters songs, and rock and roll. But a lot of it's to do with when he got a drummer, wasn't it? Because they got a drummer and a bassist in 1951. So, I mean, would that be earlier than Rocket 88? When did Rocket 88 come oh, out? Oh, good question. Don't Late know. 40, uh, no, it might be mm, no, early 50s, I would have thought. Maybe early 50s, because that's generally considered the to be the first that, rock and roll. The thing that struck me, because I was listening to a bunch of this stuff this morning, I, I got my copy of... CD copy of Bo Diddley as a gunslinger. Here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One of my uh, many... Um, many favourite Bo Diddley yeah. covers. And if you go and listen to these records, A, they sound fantastic. And B, they don't really sound like rock and roll. They sound like, well, he used to, he called it jungle music, didn't he? Yeah. Um, at the time, because he said he wanted African to do, beat. wanted to do something different from what anybody else was doing. Yeah. And the, and the thing that probably he was the godfather of more than rock and roll was hip hop. You know, in terms of, it's all about sound. It's all about texture of sound. Because if you listen to those Bo Diddley records, they sound better than the Chuck Berry records that were, were made in the, in the 1950s in the same studios. There's something about the sound of Bo Diddley records that really warm and vibrant. And, um, and also it was this invention of these of the character of Bo Diddley, wasn't it? Because obviously he wasn't Bo Diddley, he was Alice McDaniel. Yeah. And uh, and then and then doing much a that hinged of... around a song called Hey Bo Diddley, was there? I mean, you know, so it's sort of self-mythologizing. Well, absolutely. And that's something that carried on, didn't it, with Public Enemy and 50 Cent and all the, all these kind of people. Completely. It's, it's NWA. Turning, turning yourself into a into a um, into a larger than life figure in Bodley Diddley's case with a kind of rectangular guitar or you know stone he used to make his own instruments didn't he yeah and so it, it all built up in the, into this cartoon character yeah and um I was just looking at his discographic this morning and and I don't think there's many people who did as many songs or albums which were about himself. So he started off with Bo Diddley. That being successful, he did Hey Bo Diddley. That's still going well. He decided to do Diddley Daddy. <laughs> then he took a slight left turn to take note of Jerome Green, his, his maracas player and kind of mucker. 
And his next one was Bring It to Jerome. And then he did this thing that I've got here, this CD, this well, obviously an LP in its day. Bo Diddley is a gunslinger. Uh, when the tide of fashion in music changed slightly in the early 60s, he was the first one to do Bo Diddley's a twister. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously... Just got to keep on top of the Vogue. Yeah. Uh, he did Bo Diddley and Company, Bo Diddley is a lover, and then, of course, surfing with Bo Diddley. <laughs> I, I pre... <laughs> I'm... I, you know, uh, there is no documentary evidence of Bo Diddley ever putting so much as a toe in the water, <laughs> let, a, let alone hanging 10, you know. Out that is there. fantastic. But he, he, he wasn't above doing that. Surfing with Bo Diddley. Uh, and, uh, you know, even even quite late in his in his career, his recording life, he was doing uh, Big Bad Bo and Bo Diddley is crazy, you know. <laughs> So it's all it's all just building up this kind of viz entire factory, but and it's all self mythology. Isn't it? It's brilliant. What a grand tradition! Fantastic. There was a lot of it. And uh, Manfred Mann. Well, yes. Well, a lot of people pinch the the British R and B R and B bands of the early sixties. They pinched that idea from Bob Diddley. The yeah. idea that you wrote a song about yourself. Because the animals also got the story of Bo Diddley, didn't they? The story of Bo Diddley. Which in mentions, w- I think, the, the mop tops. Is that right? And then but the in, in, the... in which the animals appear. Yeah, they're that... playing in a night, or they go to a nightclub where Bo Diddley yeah, yeah, in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and they, they just, they, they fact, you know, describe some kind of exchange with Bo Diddley. Um, and it was obviously just their way of saying, we're not just a bunch of oiks from Newcastle. Yeah. We we also come trailing clouds of glory. So, you know, we um we do the story of Bo Diddley and we put ourselves in it. And of course, them, the first them album has That's right. the, has the story of them in which Van Morrison kind of intones the tale of uh, how them got together in the Maritime Hotel in, in Belfast or wherever it was. Yeah, yeah. And loads of people did it. You may remember. Hey, hey, with the monkeys. Tenth Avenue, Tenth Avenue freeze out. Well, no, we come to come to that in a second. <laughs> yeah, come to that in a second. Do you know the one in the middle by Man from Man? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just the one oh, in the great. middle. Mike Hogue played the drums. That. Uh, oh yeah. It, Tom McGinnis from, played the Darman bass. Is that the one? Man from Man plays the organ. Yeah. Tom McGinnis holds it down on bass. But the one in the middle sings "Hey Diddle Diddle" because he's, he's a pretty, just a pretty face. Fantastic. It was a, it was a bit of a hit that was a huge hit, and that was actually and five four done. three two one. Uh huh. It was the Manfreds. That's right. It's suppose, the same thing, wasn't it? I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, with the Manfreds. God, I hadn't thought of that. That's true. But then and, you get the, there's the monkeys, and then there's yeah, there's Tenth Avenue Freezer, which I think mentions the the big man joining the band. There's a yeah. bit. Of, it's about the story of the group getting together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a Leonard Cohen song called uh, Field Commander Cohen. Not about him, but it's the idea that he casts himself into the role of a kind of spy espionage piece, doesn't he? And uh, there's, my name is Prince and I am funky. That's a bit of a calling card. 
Do you remember Devo, all that stuff? Are, 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 we, are, men? We, not, are we not are men? We, not we men. are Devo. I can remember 5,000-word articles in the NME about what devolution meant, the idea of mankind regressing, etc. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, NWA, lots of that from NWA, MC Ren and Easy E. And, uh, one of my favourite, and Slim Shady. That's a kind of, uh, again, kind of... Uh, Ant Rap, Dave. Marco <laughs> Merrick, <laughs> Terry Lee, Gary Tibbs, and yours truly. Is that, how is, that, is that how he goes? Yeah, it does, yeah. Do that well, again. It's Marco Merrick, Terry, uh, Terry Lee, Gary Tibbs, and yours truly. Trust. In the naughty north and the sexy south, uh, we're all singing and I am the mouth or something. It's some absolutely <laughs> weird thing, isn't it? My favourite of, 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 any, of any group writing a song about themselves was one, was one by the monochrome set. Do you remember the one? You probably don't uh, yeah, yeah, I do know the monochrome set. Yeah, Leicester Square, play guitar. And they had a song called the Mon- and the chorus went the monochrome set the monochrome set the monochrome set the monochrome set and that was that was the chorus and the backing vocal was on the word the so all the rest of the group I remember seeing them playing it live it's wonderful they all step forward to the back and just go the monochrome set the monochrome set <laughs> isn't that brilliant and original and extraordinary but I, I bet if you had to give a prize to the one that still um, is most powerful as an idea. It's hey hey with the monkeys. Hey it? hey with the monkeys, completely. Because if it, we're just you, monkeying around, you just, you just have to say hey hey, we're the and you, you're off, aren't you? Yeah. And um, we're too we're too busy singing to, to put, put anybody, anybody down. down. <laughs> we're just trying to be friendly. Come and hear us sing and play. We're the young generation, and, and we've, we've got, got something, something to say. To say. <laughs> The Word Podcast, prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. I had a classic example the other day of how having too many records drives you mad, Mark. And I don't know if you'd, uh, if you'd sympathise with this. I, I, I've got too many records, OK? It's, it's a fact, isn't it? No such thing as too many records. All right, but I've got a lot of records. And I've got a load of CDs over there, all in drawers and you know, stuff all over the house. And it's, it's kind of organised, but it's not exact. Anyway, because having a load of records is not enough, is it? I, I also subscribe to streaming services so I can listen to even more <laughs> stuff, you know. And in the course of the streaming services, do things like if you play something and you get to the end of it, it will just, you know, nominate something that's a bit like it, that, you might, that it's found via its algorithms that people who like this like that. And, and down uh, an endless rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I just happened to be listening to something and I hadn't intended to, and I found myself listening to, I thought, that's Ali Farkaturi, isn't it? Surely. Ali Farkaturi, the kind of Marlian bluesman. And uh, I was listening to this, oh, God, this is good. Oh, this is good. I've got, what's more, I've got this. I've got this record. Now, it wasn't enough for me to be... I had access to it on the stream. No, I've got this record. I've got it somewhere. It's on CD. I've got to go and find it. So, And and, and honestly, Mark, I I spent... I was just going up and downstairs for two hours. I just couldn't settle to anything at all. But isn't it fair to say that the record collection... Your size, that if it's not in alphabetical order, where are you going to find your alphabetical order? You're going to start looking in the garden. I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> make any difference to this. See, Ali Fagaturi, you got, you got, it's a triple threat there, isn't it? Is it Ali? Oh, is it yeah, Parker? Yeah. Is it Turi? Is it Turi? <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and then you think, well, no, some of that stuff, I, I tend to put it in a drawer uh, with with kind of world music or instrumental music or stuff that doesn't readily fall into any category and doesn't easily obey the alphabet and all that sort of stuff. And so I went to those places, couldn't find it, could not find it, got everything out, couldn't find it. I, honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't settle. It's just ridiculous. Couldn't do any work. Couldn't read anything. I, I just life this, falling apart. <laughs> and then eventually, I found it. You know, filed upside down. There it is. I love Hakuturi, the King of the Desert Blues Singers. Uh, is is a record called Savan. And I've been playing it ever since. You must I, have been so relieved. You oh, must have hugged it. You must have been in tears. Oh, you must have been having a little party for one up in the attic, dancing to this magnificent record. I'm reminded of the the old the old parable from the Bible about you know the shepherd spends more time looking for the one that is lost than than he spends dealing with the hundreds that he's got. You know, <laughs> uh, that, uh, so that's what I couldn't help thinking of. And God, I was relieved because I thought, if I don't, if I keep searching all day and I don't have it, I'm going to have to order it. It's just ridiculous. You know, I can listen to it at streaming service. I can listen to it any time I want, you know. But Why do you need to actually have it? Because I just do, because... Okay, this is it. So that's because, an interesting thing, because if you want to listen to it, it doesn't make any difference whether it's in your household no, or not. Okay, well, this is my answer. And this is part of the reason why I'm going to come, you know, like I was rattling on about this the other week when we were talking about, you know, my theory, the CD will kind of come back. It'll never come back quite like vinyl, but it'll come back, you know. Because once you decide you love something... Yeah, you want to have it. You want it. That's true. You want to have it. To kind of prove that you love it, yeah. Something else, and so I thought, if I don't have that, I'm going to have to do something about it, and also going to feel bad about myself that did I have it and did I let it go, which would be a terrible, you know, stain on my character, wouldn't it? If they, you could have given it to somebody, you could have given it to somebody and turned them onto an entire lifetime of world music enthusiasm. Well, maybe I don't do that kind of thing. No, no, no. I don't give records to people actually, but uh, anyway, I just thought you might you might be uh, you I'm might relate to that. You know? I'm just trying to imagine what what sort of state you'd be like if you if you'd be in if you hadn't found it. Oh, I would sleepless I, I, misery. We, we wouldn't be haunted. Doing this, we wouldn't be doing this podcast now. I would have been up all <laughs> night. <and> I, <laughs> Taken everything out of the house, put it out in the garden, and sorted through it once, one thing at a time, <laughs> until I found it. So anyway, so this so, week, go on. We've been. Well, I was going to say I was. I wanted to mention Lloyd Cole. Yes, we, we well, talked we, to Lloyd Cole the other day. We talked to a um, load of people this week, haven't we? We talked. Yeah. To, we talked to um, uh, John Kosh. Uh, of I think that's up and out, doesn't it? That's up and out, but people, if you. If you haven't uh, caught that, do catch that. It's the man who designed Abbey Road and loads of other things. Anyway, go on. We also no, talked to Lloyd Cole. It's really interesting. Lloyd Cole, here he is in lockdown. He lives in Massachusetts, um, in lockdown, like, 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 like the rest of us. And um, suddenly got some interest from people in his lyrics, in, his, in the idea of his handwritten lyrics. And he told us that he gets up in the morning and he spends a considerable amount of time now rewriting 
presumably in a fine italic nib, um, you know, the, the, the lyrics to Perfect Skin or whatever it is, and then uh, sells them uh, to people who've got in touch with them. Why not? I thought oh, that was absolutely. a really interesting idea. It's no, a really I, interesting I, idea. I, I, I know it's very reason. I can't remember what it was. It was $75 or something like that for a handwritten manuscript. Also, it would be customised to you. It would have a little message to you at the top, presumably. Presumably. I don't think not. he does that thing where he pretends it's the original version, scratches some words out and puts other ones in. Or, you know, I don't think it's nothing as arch as that. But, I mean, the idea that, that, that you could... It just made me think there's a huge industry there. Because if you like somebody, you'd love to have handwritten lyrics. No, I, I never I mean, thought... I've never thought of that until he, he talked about it. Yeah. Because we've all heard stories about, you know, Don McLean famously uh, happily he found, found, just suddenly stumbled <laughs> across, like you looking for your Alifarka Tory record, <laughs> suddenly found, amazingly, you know, in some cupboard somewhere, the uh, the lyric to American Pie. It sold for enormous... It sold for about $1.1 million. And, and just then, how extraordinary, two weeks later, he found Vincent. <laughs> what I mean, what are the chances? Isn't that astonishing? <laughs> Whereas Lloyd oh, no, isn't no. doing anything like that. That's I know, I, know. He's, uh, I mean, what Lloyd's doing is kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's a development of, of, selling, of your autograph. Isn't it really? It is. It's, 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 it's your autograph. All it is. But uh, if it's a song you particularly like. You, no, fair enough. Idea. Fair enough. And actually, you know, I just thought there ought to be a roaring trade in um, in old motel stationery. That's what you want. You know, if you could find a cache yeah. of old Holiday Inn notepads upon which you then rewrite, upon yeah. which. You, you put your Mr. Tambourine stage. Man. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's just come to me. And then, and then me. sort of, you know, put a coffee stain on it, <laughs> a cigarette burn. It's got like a rolling ball crossed out. Stone. That's it. Whatever. That's um, it. Uh, that's what you need to, to add further authenticity if you're trying to pass off these things as as being what you, what you wrote at the time. No, I was intrigued by this. Of course, I, I was just... Um, we were talking about it. You know how Muhammad Ali made his living for the last kind of 20 years of his life was selling his autograph because it, it, it was the only thing that could generate any money, you know, because there's a fighter, a fighter, you know. <laughs> You, you could don't argue that the more you sell your autograph, the less less its value uh, retains. I don't know. Does it? Well, he, he apparently used to, you know, obviously he was a battled illness of um, you know, for a long, long time. But he used to go to a kind of public place, and he he would he would sign autographs. You know, I think pretty much daily. And um, I'm just looking. There is such there is so many Muhammad Ali autographs out there that there is a very good website called aliautos.com, which calls itself the greatest Muhammad Ali autograph resource. And it, it, will, it, will, it has large sections on forgeries, and it will, it will give you a quick opinion on whether the autograph you've got really is, real. is, really is an Ali autograph. Um, so they can't be worth... They can't be worth an awful lot of money, surely not. I can't if there's that many of them. I don't think so. No, no, no. no. But I love the idea of, of, of musicians kind of diversifying. I still love the idea of Dylan and his welding. I mean, he doesn't do that as a commercial enterprise, but he does have his studio, doesn't he, in Los Angeles, where he welds. Now, and he wouldn't produces you, artifacts that you, wouldn't know, that you, you could buy, buy? Wouldn't you <coughs> buy if you could? You know, if you could, if you're the kind of person who is going to spend money on a on a wrought iron gate, garden gate, or whatever. 
how, forgive me, cool would it be to be able to say, do you like it? Bob Dylan made Bob that. Bob Dylan made it. That's really exciting, isn't it? Uh, incredibly I'd, exciting. I'd rather have that than one of his paintings. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Absolutely. You see, it's a useful thing, you know. But presumably, once you've announced that that's a, a gate made by Bob Dylan, then the security of that gate is then very threatened. <laughs> I and, suppose. Uh, it might get nicked, I would imagine. Does he Dylan also, make his own things? I remember when he had uh, he had a, a, an exhibition at the Halcyon Gallery, I think, uh, in, in London in 2013. And the director said, Dylan designs the works and decides which objects will be used. He does some of the welding himself, but he has one or two people to help him out. And he's intimately involved with the whole process. So I think it's probably one of those kind of Damien Hirst, um, yeah. you know, Anselm Kiefer things where you've got yeah, a big, yeah. big factory turning stuff out. But, but it's yeah. I loved, I think it's brilliant. What a fantastic See, I think it's someone, with all these old car car hubs and uh, some rock you know. star ought to start making something that we all want, like garden gnomes or something like that. Yeah, you know? something we all just plonk down in the, in the garden and go. Do you know who made that? Ozzy Osbourne, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. <Yeah. laughs> Nick Haywood of Haircut One Hundred. Like <laughs> whatever those Les Neems. Les Neems. <laughs> Lovely idea. Oh, good. <laughs> this is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So here we are back again, this time joined uh, by Alex Gold, who's just told us that, that uh, Des O'Connor's death's been announced uh, at the age of 88. And uh, Alex said, what did you say, Alex? Uh, Buddy, uh, Des O'Connor toured with Buddy Holly. And he did. Obviously, he was in those days, you know, those kind of shows, they always had a compare. They always had to have a comic, you know. And uh, but what amazed me, because I just looked it up, is just how many shows they did. Shall I go through these shows? This was a UK tour, right? Obviously. UK tour of In 58? Yeah. 58. So he was probably, I'm trying to think, he was probably the first of those kind of rock and rollers to come over. Anyway. Start, the tour starts the Elephant and Castle Trocadero, then the Kilburn Gaumont State, Southampton Gaumont, Sheffield City Hall, Stockton Globe, Newcastle City Hall, Wolverhampton Gaumont, Nottingham Odeon, Bradford Gaumont, Birmingham Town Hall, Worcester Paramount, Croydon Davis, East Ham Granada, Woolwich Granada, Ipswich Gaumont, Leicester de Montfort Hall, Doncaster Gaumont, Wigan Ritz, Hull Regal, Liverpool Philharmonic Hall, Walthamstow, Granada, Salisbury, Gaumont, Bristol, Colson Hall, and Cardiff Capital and Hammersmith. Isn't that amazing? Wow. That's a lot of... Lot of that was like a classic bit of old radio that day, you know, from 30 years ago, where people actually used to read out tour dates on the radio. Right. Made riveting radio, but then you didn't, you didn't have the information any other way. But so that was is. a lot of shows, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, incredible. Is that was just, a lot is, of shows. Is the volume of London shows in that run slightly unusual? So what, Hammersmith, no, it's, probably, Kilburn, it's, yeah, it's probably not that unusual, really, um, because you, you wouldn't be... You, no, they, they were, people would play more than one London show. Um, and, they, and, and there weren't there weren't big venues. You know, there wasn't a Wembley alternative or anything like that. You know, these places were all, what, however many there were, two and a half thousand, if that. Probably not even that, actually. Um but I hadn't realised just how many shows that was. So, Des O'Connor, um, you know... Was, that would uh, be a good bill. Des O'Connor, good value. Yeah, 
I'm sure. Terrific. I'm sure. And uh, and also up there with Bob Monkhouse, all those people who were kind of kind of ignored for a long time and thought of us being um, kitsch and uh, and uh, you know cheesy. Suddenly he's kind of given a certain amount of light entertainment uh, respect. And also uh, the thing that kind of made Dezo kind of famous all over again was he was the butt of uh, of all Morgan Wise's jokes. That's it? right, it was. They, they, just, they just had to put Des O'Connor, the name Des O'Connor, into any line, and it was immediately funny. And also he had some hit records, didn't he? Do you remember 123 O'Leary? I don't. Oh, that's a big hit. He had more than one. Well, yeah, that's why they used to take the mickey out of him, because he sold a lot of records. Yeah. Like, you know, and they, they kind of sing along with Des thing like max bygroves did well so 88 uh you know decent in, in decent innings. innings very good innings uh, good yeah, man absolutely that's fantastic so also alex was was you were inspired by a mention of don mclean's american pie to tell us that that is one of the one of your staples in your in your if you had to play for your life in a hostile pub yeah uh, that's one of the songs you do go and tell us about that well, it serves two purposes, actually. Um, one is it's about 10 minutes long. And if you play it a little bit slowly, you've basically got 15 minutes of your set covered. Um, <laughs> and in Champagne Supernova. And you, You're nearly there. That's it. That's the, that's the, you collect the money and go home. Absolutely. But also, it's one of these magical songs that um, just appears to make people participate, no matter where you are, who you're playing in front of, what time of day it is, what state of inebriation or non people are in. It's just got that sort of magical formula that that makes people sing without realising they're doing it. Um, and there are a few of those songs that are really useful to have in the back pocket. Go on, what are they? Um, Don't Look Back in Anger's definitely one of them. Help's another one. Um, yeah. uh, Take Me Home, Country Roads. That's, that's oh. Another one. <laughs> oh, right. And, you know, there's quite a sort of disparity of, of, of styles there, but for some reason, yeah, something yeah. contained, especially in the choruses, of course, of these songs that just grab people and once you once you you know once you have them you've got them for the whole rest of your your tenure and, and the rest of the night so, so have you have you done these kind of sets where the landlord says all right son there's a stool in the corner <laughs> go and sit on that and disturb the peace of these drinkers by playing some songs yeah the- absolutely and uh, you know that's kind of sort of how i figured out to to get the attention of a room i suppose because you know if you don't it's a really horrible experience <laughs> You've kind of got no choice but to make people shut up and listen somehow. Um, and you, you so do, how do you do that? You play louder. Well, there is an element of that as well. There is an yeah, element of how you conduct yourself, you know. Um, Which can yeah, be very you, annoying if you're on the receiving end of If you're trying to have a meal. <laughs> so maybe you're out in a restaurant and suddenly you suddenly hear somebody tuning up and you think, oh, my Lord. <laughs> but... People American Pie is interesting because nobody's got a problem with Don McLean. If you play the Bob Dylan song, you know, there'll be certain people who just think, oh, yeah. I kind of either subscribe yeah. to Bob Dylan or I don't. But he doesn't divide anybody, Don McLean. It's just a great yeah. song. No, but what, what, what you discover as well is that, you know, people do respond to the, the way in which you conduct yourself. And what I sort of observe watching various singer-songwriters do their thing sort of slightly coyly in the, uh, various pubs across the land in the old world was that, um, you know, there's there's no... With a lot of them, there's no projection there. And, but, and you have to kind of you have let, to puff your let's chest. Let's be out. more simple. Let's be more simple about this, Alex. Let me let me cut to the chase. Yeah. Are you saying they don't speak to the audience? Absolutely not. It's all about that's the problem, isn't it? 
you know, they're, they're not there to entertain. And, you know, that, that, that's what you, you realise that you're not, you're not there for you. You know, you're there to, to add something to someone's evening. And, you know, um, and of course, you know, it's playing songs they know, songs they know they yeah. like, but also making them feel like they're being entertained. But it's also making that, and the, the where where the speaking is really important. I think is it makes them like you. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> it, it is kind of the conversation with the, with the room. A, and, yeah. and you're the compare as well as as, as yeah. well as concern. And you have to stand up. I always play standing up. I never play sitting down because I find it really difficult when I'm on the other side to to really be bothered about someone who's just sitting hunched on a stool, you know, playing. That's true. That's, that's so true. true. They don't look like they're involved or making an effort or projecting or anything. That's absolutely true. There's, there's no authority there. And, you yeah. Know, um, so, but yeah, Don McLean, American Pie, it's, 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 it's a magical little piece. You know, you, the, the, the downside is you have to memorise 25 verses. Um, but, you know. Do you know who, in my experience, if I had to throw on anybody to play for your life in front of the most hostile pub or, you know, of the least impressed gathering of people. And I've seen them do this, uh, is, is Neil and Tim Finn, uh, variously of Crowded House, Split Ends, whatever. And the reason is, I've asked them about this, they're absolutely at ease, you know, stand up anywhere and play a couple of songs, look the audience in the eye, get them singing along, all that kind of stuff. And they say, we always had to do this at family parties when we were like eight years old. They just learned that's how you do it. That's how you entertain. And it never leaves people. But that's true of people that. like Ray Davis, isn't it? McCartney, all those guys. They kind of grew up with sitting around yeah. the piano with lots of, uh, you know, pints of mild bouncing up I, and down on the top of it, I mean, singing along. McCartney, for example, all that early footage of the Beatles, he's eyeing everyone. You know, yeah. he, he, knows, he knew exactly what he was doing. But it's also playing family audiences is is a really interesting discipline because you're dealing with people who are from wildly different you know, age age ranges and interests, whatever. And your job is to bring them together, not to play them your interesting new song. Yeah, yeah. Which is <laughs> which is the kind of indie well, way. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you the other thing about the other thing about about live music in unlikely contexts. I was told this by a, a friend of mine uh, who's a very senior RAF officer who used to organise a lot of these kind of things in Whitehall um, uh, receptions, drinks receptions, where it was decided to be a good idea to warm the room a little bit with a little bit of live music. He said, "I have discovered through bitter experience." that there is only one instrument in the world that you can't make too loud, and that's the harp. Interesting. He said, so <laughs> he always used to hire a harpist to play in the background of a drinker's reception, because you simply can can't... never dominate. They that's can't true. dominate. Every other instrument, Johnny Musician's natural instinct is just play slightly louder. <laughs> I would suggest that perhaps the ukulele could be... Okay, you um, can still crank it up though, can't you? You can still turn up the volume. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I suppose this notion of entertaining, you know, I, I guess it's translating into records now more than it ever has. Done. You know, I'm seeing various grassroots artists releasing their ballads, and I just think, why? This is 2020. Nobody wants a ballad. The, the very last thing I want at the moment, apart from having my actual eyes gouged out with a spoon, is to listen to a ballad. I want to listen to stuff that makes me happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, 
do you think that we're going to see less balladry, you know, in in, in a big in the next year or so? Because yeah, when we when we reemerge, blinking in the into the daylight, there'll be people sitting on stools saying, "Here's a song I wrote during lockdown," and the audience would just think, "Oh, bugger it!" Get the there bar. won't be any of that. There simply won't. Nobody's going to want to be reminded of it. Are they? Hear about someone singing about their pain? Not in twenty. You do not care, do you? I mean, it's. A, it's just completely bonkers that people are still convinced that other people want to hear about them getting dumped in in a, in a year that an actual global pandemic's happened and, and the Pentagon's confirmed well, it. Hey, well, okay, I, I give you that. But you see, going back to your point about speaking, yeah. I think I think people can be made interested in all kinds of things if you tell them. If you would say, this is a song I wrote about a girl who I went out with when I was 19, and she was called, oh, wait, make up a name or whatever. And this is what happened. And this is, she left me at a bus stop or whatever. They're hanging on your every word. If you no, told that's them that. true. Absolutely. They're really interested. Yeah. And they li- they listen to the song with completely fresh ears. Whereas if you just play it, they won't work that out. Yeah. I think you know, they yeah. think, here's the fundamental problem with musicians. They think the music is enough. That's it's it. not. I think the misconception is with a lot of a lot of musicians is that you know this piece of music, the emotional gravity is so powerful. As soon as as soon as as soon as I start playing this, people will just drop drop whatever they've got in their hands, listen, wrapped, and but it doesn't happen like that, does it at all? Do you know the the great the great gift of Bruce Springsteen is not the individual songs. It's the it's the knack of welding together the songs into a giant story, yeah. all the way through through the show. It's telling a story. Some of it's funny, some of it's tragic, some of it's new, some of it's old. But it's all a narrative. Everything. It's not. And you can go and see Bruce Springsteen. You can go and see Bruce Springsteen for the first time in your life and be involved in that. Yeah. You don't have to follow him all the way through. No, no. no. I guess going to a Springsteen gig feels like you're at a big, you're at his party, doesn't it? In a, in a well, well, he always says, theater. He always says he wants it to be. He said this for years. It, uh, it's supposed to be a party. It's supposed to be a political rally. It's supposed to be a religious meeting. It's supposed to be a dance. It's supposed to be all those things. Got it. All that stuff together. And uh, but it, he really understands that business. If you, if you tell somebody something about a song before you play it, yeah. they're listening. Yeah. Don't tell them afterwards because they've missed it. <laughs> you know, it's it, you can it say all... the same about DJs. The best DJs are the ones who say, I'm going to play you this record and look out for what happens. Two minutes in, you'll hear the most extraordinary sound. Yeah. And Try how, and work out what that instrument how is. How rarely going to be. do you hear that? I know. I know. Very rarely. Very rarely. It's something, all... something, look out for this extraordinary thing that's yeah. about to happen. Yeah. You have their attention. Uh, it's a story. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, what else in any other business, Alex? What have we got? Any, to new, any new patrons? Anything we're going to we talk, talk about? Yeah, so we, we have a we have a bunch of new patrons actually this week. Oh, um, so, uh, and these are all annual patrons. Oh, um, we love nice, like, good. Of course, if you subscribe annually, you get um, a, a generous fifteen percent discount. Um, and uh, also, we shin down your digital drain pipe to celebrate your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite sentence. Your digital half. That's we right. slide down, down your. your di- we're down your. Come down your chimney. If you have a, yeah. if you have a birthday between now and Christmas, we'll actually come down. We'll abseil down your digital chimney, and mm-hmm. rummage through your old records. <laughs> Probably pinch something. Go on, yeah. Alex. Go. So we have uh, Bishop Brian Jones. 
<laughs> really? Okay. All right, fine, Bishop. A real Bishop? Uh, I, I, I like to think so, yes. I do too. Um, well, I look forward to seeing the purple when we get round to his, uh, the, uh, his birthday. The indefatigable Nick Fuller. <laughs> indefatigable. Charles Kennedy. Of course, okay. Sir Peter Hackett. Absolutely. Uh, the magnificent Claire Nestor. Right. Hello, Claire. Fantastic. Robert Fincher. Yeah. Hurrah. Hello, Robert. Hurrah. Mr. Finley Napier. Oh, very good. And Lord what a great Paul name. Hyam. Finley Napier. Who was the last one? Paul Hyam. Paul Hyam. Excellent. Well, uh, well it's very, very nice to have them all on board. We, we have a few more as well. Uh, we oh, have right, William McGuire, Sean Nubley, Stephen Price and Kevin Butterworth. No less welcome. Terrific. Well, I'm very glad to have them aboard. And extremely uh, good news. Uh, and they'll be uh, getting access to all the stuff we do, all the word in your attics, um, all the, all the, they can attend and be in the room when we do further crowdcast chats we with all the, the, the book videos that we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing. Uh, oh yeah. We've we've chosen our ten. Our 10 music books of the year, which we'll have a link to that under this. Uh, and there's a page where you can learn all about them. And uh, we're going to be doing little videos about each individual one in the next few weeks. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you'll get early access to that. So basically, the way you works on Patreon is you get everything and you get it first and you get it in vision if it's available in vision. Uh, in return for your much-valued support. Um, anything to add? <laughs> I think we're there, are we? <laughs> On that long and rambling discourse, I think we're probably there. Okay. Very good. See you next time. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 